today's episode, my incredibly excellent guest shares some personal and professional experiences and insights as the Executive Director of the United States Army Warrant Officer Association. Today, I am joined by Jack DeTeal. Thanks so much for your time today, sir. Can you share with the audience a little bit about yourself, please? Well, CW5 Hauser, and I'd like to highlight the fact that you are CW5 Hauser and congratulate you on your uh, recent promotion. Perhaps we just we just call each other Russ and Jack today. How's that sound? That's fine. Thank you. Okay. A little bit about me. Well, um, I'm the National Executive Director of USAWOA. I uh, took that job uh, a couple of weeks after I retired from the Army with 26 years of active federal service. Prior to that, my association service was as National Treasurer, as a Chapter President, a Chapter Vice President, chapter secretary, and a life member of USAWOA, and probably a dozen or more associations in the military coalition in which USAWOA is an organizational member. I'm also the vice president of the Jack B. Sachs Foundation, a charitable foundation in Washington, D.C. I'm on the board of directors of the Warren Officer Historical Foundation, a graduate of Columbia Union College with a bachelor's degree in business administration. And best of all, I'm married to Karen, my lovely wife, and we are together the proud parents of our daughter, Michelle, and our relatively brand new son-in-law, Tyler. And I always tell everybody, thank God Michelle looks like her mother. (laughs) All right. Thank you for that. And, And quite a quite an impressive uh, amount of service to uh, the Warren Officer Association. So thank you for that. Can you briefly summarize the purpose of the U.S. Army Warren Officer Association for our audience? Russ, I always like to describe the mission uh, and purpose of the USAWO way, the way that my mentor and the founder of the United States Army Warrant Officer Association always described it. And it was in the three words that he was wise enough to put in the original seal, the seal we use today, of the association. And it only contains three words, professionalism, representation, and recognition. And back when Don Hess, CW4 retired Don Hess, started the association, one of his biggest concerns was that he didn't see any unified or uniformed uh, method of professional development for warrant officers. He didn't see any organized management of our cohort. And so these were things he wanted to, he wanted to fix. And so his first priority was we, we have to act like professionals. We have to act like officers in the United States Army. And so that probably was his, his primary mission when he started the association. The next word, representation, is rooted in Don Hess's desire to provide professional representation to the members of our cohort, uh, vis-a-vis 
legislation and uh, other support of, of, of our cohort. And the final word, recognition, initially referred to the fact that back in those days, even if you retired, often the biggest medal you got if you were a warrant officer was uh, a meritorious service medal or even a, an Army Commendation Medal. So there wasn't a lot of recognition provided to warrant officers back in the day. And so he wanted to ensure that in setting up the association uh, that we had venues for recognition, such as today's Spouse of the Year, Warrant Officer of the Year, the awards that we give chapters for doing excellent things in their communities and so forth. Today, I think that mission of recognition is better defined, it's it's morphed, it's evolved. And I think what it best describes is the recognition that our chapter members gain for not only our association, but our cohort from the great works that they do locally in their communities uh, that reflects well, not only on our association, but again, on the members of our cohort as professionals. And so that to me is sort of an overview of the purpose of the USAWOA from its family. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to move on and then take a look at how those three words in this mission get wrapped up in maybe a summary of what's happened this year in 2021 and take a look at 2022. Can you share with us a little bit about this year and next, perhaps? Russ, I don't think you can talk about 2021 without uh, stepping back a year uh, when we first uh, had this COVID virus inflicted on us. presented a lot of challenges for USAWOA, but it also presented challenges to the military. So when I say challenges to USAWOA, obviously, you know, we had to tell chapter leaders don't conduct in-person meetings anymore, find other ways to meet. It, of course, curtailed a huge percentage of their work in the communities. So it was, it was kind of tough on us from the national level on down. You know, we even had to modify the work schedule in the office such that, you know, none of the national level employees were even in the office at the same time. So it was terrible. But it also presented other challenges in our role on Capitol Hill and advocate. For instance, we had um, National Guard members deploying. As a matter of fact, DOD uh, devoted something in the neighborhood of 60,000 soldiers to working the COVID problem that we had. And the lion's share of those people were in the National Guard and these people were put on orders because the president at the time felt very strongly about ensuring that, that these soldiers got their full pay and benefits. But initially, when they were put on those orders, they were put on 30-day orders. And what we had to point out to the White House, and I remember chatting with the Secretary of Defense at the time, you know, we had just sent a letter to the president saying, Mr. President, we really appreciate you mobilizing these people correctly uh, to respond to this pandemic. But, um, you know, regulations say that unless you're on orders for a full month, 31 days, you're not eligible for TRICARE benefits and gee, we're fighting a pandemic, they probably need to be eligible for the TRICARE benefits. And within 48 hours, we had that fixed. But 
I guess what I'm getting at is, in addition to all of the work we do annually on other legislative issues, the formulation and debate and eventual passage of the National Defense Authorization Act, and generally a veterans omnibus bill toward the end of the year, we got about a 30% increase in our workload working with our partners on Capitol Hill in a bipartisan fashion and with the White House, ensuring we took care of our soldiers in this uh, pandemic vis-a-vis their service. So that was a huge challenge. Now we move on to this year, and we thought we were coming out of the pandemic, and well, not quite, but that's okay. The mission goes on, and we did prosecute our legislative mission. I will tell you that I have not personally been on the Hill. I used to go up there all the time and have meetings with staffers and, 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 and actual members and senators all the time. Have not been up there since March of last year. All the business we've conducted has been virtual. And that actually, in a weird way, was a benefit because we ended up having a lot more meetings and getting a lot more work done because we didn't have commuting time getting back and forth from the Hill. Instead of doing one or two meetings a day, I could do five meetings a day. And so one of our big victories in 2021 was an issue that's been an issue of mine for the last four years, and that is to change the law such that National Guardsmen and Reservists get full equity in incentive and special pays. So, in other words, for example, an aviator who is uh, has a, a flight pay, has a special incentive pay, aviation incentive pay, if he's in the active component, he gets anywhere from 200 to pretty close to $1,000 a month in incentive pay, you know, as he progresses through his career. The National Guardsman and a reservist under the current law gets one-thirtieth of that pay for every day he's in uniform and might spend more hours in the cockpit than his actual counterparts in the AC. Um, We were pleased to see that in the yet-to-be-reconciled Senate and House versions of NDAA, uh, we were able to achieve identical language, uh, basically awarding incentive pays not just for aviators across the board, uh, parity and incentive pays for the National Guard and Reserve. Meanwhile, our our friends in the, um, basically the Warrant Officer Leadership Team, and by that I mean the uh, SWO CSA, CW5 Yolanda Dixon Carter, CW5 Rick Knowlton over at the Army Talent Management Task Force, and of course our two senior Warrant Officer Leaders in the Guard and Reserve, uh, Chief Doe Meyer, uh, and her counterpart on the Army Reserve side, Pat Nelligan, we're working very hard on several initiatives in that Army Talent Management Task Force. One of them will actually, and it's been passed, will actually allow a warrant officer in the active component to retire and then come back and serve in the Guard and Reserve as a retiree. Uh, and, of course, this is at the pleasure of the Adjutant General of the state in the case of the Guard and of course the ARCOM commander if they need the skills of that of that uh, retiring warrant officer. But we believe, and you know, they'll continue to serve. They'll actually rack up additional retirement points, and eventually their retirements are recalculated at age sixty. And significantly from that point forward, they'll have a much nicer retirement uh, plan. So a lot of incentives for that. But the combination of that and our legislative victory on the Hill. Uh, 
vis-a-vis uh, uh, incentive pay parity, we think is going to do is going to be a huge shot in the arm in an ongoing pilot shortage that we see. Uh, and if we can encourage people, you know, they get their their bonus from a Delta and they decide to retire. Hey, I've I've served honorably, and you know, well, Mama's sitting across from them at the uh, at the kitchen table, and we always talk about recruit the soldier but retain the family, and he says, gee, you know, I can join the guard and, and, and I can keep flying. And she says, oh, great. What does that mean monetarily? Well, it means I get reserve pay as a CW3. Uh, and, okay, well, how about your flight pay? Well, I, you know, probably only get 50 to 100 bucks. Nope. You put your time in. You deployed five times out of the last 10 years. Time to hang up your boots. But if the question is, gee, maybe I can keep $600 of my incentive pay every month, uh, the spouse might say, hey, you know what, that's a car payment. So we think it's going to be a huge shot in the arm. That, to me, is probably the most important victory uh, that we've achieved this year. Um, in addition to that, dozens of other things. You know, everybody's going to get the lawful pay raise that they're supposed to get uh, at the beginning of next year. Um, they're going to get, um, uh, not going to get a cut to BAH. No additional unprogrammed cuts or fee increases to TRICARE uh, beneficiaries although there have been increases because of previous legislation they didn't come come at us with a carving knife again on that which is great now we'll, we'll move on to next year next year is going to present some challenges challenges on the legislative front uh, we are already predicting because of the current inflation that we are seeing we are sort of wargaming what we think might be likely inevitable, which is an attempt by Congress to save dollars by perhaps cutting down lawful COLAs for retirees and maybe even going after the pay raise. Not this pay raise coming up this year. That's already set and it's based on last year's CPI numbers. But this year's CPI numbers, the end of December, will dictate what the lawful pay raise is in 2023. And right now, that looks like 5.9%. That's an awful big pay raise. So we're not saying that we're going to have a problem. We've just had problems like this in the past. We're sort of gearing up for it. So so from a, from a legislative standpoint, plus next year is an election year, there are other priorities that we are trying to go after legislatively. We'd like to do something with TRICARE and, again, the reserve components. Uh, we think if uh, your health is a deployment factor as to whether you're deployable or not, we probably ought to be paying for the guard member or reservists, TRICARE Reserve Select, for instance. So that's a piece of legislation we actually championed this year. We didn't get it. Uh, but again, next year, because it's an election year, a lot of these things are going to be a challenge. So I'm not looking forward. I'm, I'm looking forward to a better year in USAWOA from, from an, an association standpoint but a much tougher slog on Capitol Hill. On uh, In USAWA, we've got a great program called the Membership Enhancement Project that we're putting in. It's going to really revolutionize the way we do business in USAWA. It's going to optimize the experience for members. We're going to completely replace our entire uh, 10-, 12-year-old automated backbone with a uh, brand-new one uh, based on Microsoft 365 technology. And we think it's, it's going to be great. I'm not going to drone on about that. Uh, you can go back and read your 
your USAWA newsliner, there was an article about MEP, the Membership Enhancement Project, just about every issue this year. Uh, but so that's sort of my outlook in, uh, you know, my reflections on 2021 and, and outlook for 2022. I hope they made sense. Yes, thank you. Uh, and just a, a big shout out to uh, to Misty. I, I think it's Misty for her work on the membership enhancement program. Is that correct? Absolutely. She has That's, been phenomenal. And I would point out that she is not only honchoing this project together with uh, my good friend Carl Burnett, who's chairman of the Past Presidents Council, who was the national right. president back in 1984, but she also serves as our Northeastern Region Director. So she's taken an awful lot on her on her plate uh, on behalf of the association and its members and, and really the cohort. So bravo to her. Thank you for recognizing that. So 2022 will be the 50th anniversary of the Warren Officer Association. I'd like to ask you, especially from this leadership position, what does that mean to you? And what is your, what is your vision for the future of the association? Well, when I reflect on our 50th anniversary, I reflect on our founder again, Don Hess, and his vision and our accomplishments. And we've accomplished an awful lot. And I don't just mean the association, I mean our cohort. But Don Hess was such a driver and he was so humble that he rarely took credit for the things he did. He almost uh, he grew up a, a son of a preacher and I guess that was the biggest crime you could commit in his house was, was to be prideful. But Don Hess began the association, a lot of people don't know this, when he was the only warrant officer on the Modern Volunteer Army Task Force, which contained 16 people, led by a Lieutenant General Forsyth. And at the order of President Nixon and the Chief of Staff of the Army, they came up with the concept of how we were going to do the Modern Volunteer Army uh, and basically end the draft. Um, so part of the challenge was making a career in the military something more attractive to people. You can't draft people. You know, let's, let's make a career more attractive. And so that was uh, sort of the beginning of the development of all of our professional education schools on, on the officer and NCO side, uh, OBC, OAC, all of these great, you know, uh, CASCUBE or, or, or CGSC, all these things sort of came out of the modern volunteer army. Don Hess walked into the general's office one day and sort of, you know, looking at his feet, being humble and saying, sir, I was wondering if I could have 15 minutes to talk to you about warrant officer professional development because we could be so much more valuable than we are. Uh, you can read all about what he did. Uh, and anybody that's interested, I got a great article in the April 2018 edition of the magazine that I'd be happy to send you. Um, Basically, it didn't happen with MVA, but Forsyth believed in Don, actually encouraged him to start the association, actually encouraged him to use his TDYs on MVA business to have meetings after hours with warrant officers and set the association up. Um, a lot of people are familiar with Lieutenant General Hal Moore of We Were Soldiers Once in Young Thing. He was a big proponent of Don S. and his idea. And I think more than anyone else, Don Hess was responsible for this, for the creation of Warren Officer Division back in 1975, which was formed so that we could get Warren Officers away from their branches, so that we can input 
professional development in an across-the-board fashion without having to have chops from every branch leader that really didn't want their warrant officers going off to school. They wanted them in their unit. And so long story short, a lot of the things that we have seen, the advancements we've seen over the years were a result of that. Of course, we rebranched in 2004. But prior to that, the association was working on other things like uh, the National Defense Authorization Act of 1991 uh, passed the Warrant Officer Management Act. That's how we got the W-5 rank. Today, our Army talent management folks are trying to make refinements to that policy because it, it really is 30 years old and needs to be updated. But it was the first centralized management of warrant officers. Just huge things. Uh, later on, the association helped uh, actually probably is responsible through the coalition, uh, military coalition and their support for the pay compression pay raises we all got in 2007 that made it easier for us to recruit warrant officers and high-grade people. So basically every warrant officer that's walking around today on active duty owes 12% of their pay uh, to, uh, actually I'll call out my good friend uh, Ray Bell, who was my predecessor, did the lion's share of the work in the 2000s to make that uh, get passed. So I think of that when I think of our 50th anniversary. But I also think about the future, to your point. USAWA and its partners in the military coalition, there are 35 other associations in the coalition with us, must continue doing what we do. We must continue advocating, and not just on behalf of our members and their personal interests, but for the good of our services. That's sort of our dual mission. My biggest fear is that it seems like our newer generations are sort of a culture of non-joiners. And membership is our strength. That's what gives us our power when we advocate. And so I always ask people at the end of briefings I give, who will service members turn to when all their military service organizations are gone? So if I had a real fear about the future, it would be uh, not just us, but other associations being in danger 15, 20, 25 years from now of having to close down because they just don't have the membership bases anymore. Um, hate to end on a sour note there, but. No, no, not at all. Um, you know, first of all, thanks for that uh, beautiful tribute to Don Hess. Again, the purpose of the Historical Foundation, which is my inroad to everything with the association, is to preserve and educate. And that was uh, a beautiful reflection on Don's work that I wasn't uh, necessarily familiar with. And I hope that the audience appreciates that too, uh, that visionary from the 70s that we are the bene the recipient of today. I, I appreciate it very much. Thank you, sir. And, and then that ties into the, the next question that I had, you know, ultimately the work of the association is to make life better for those of us still serving uh, in any component. And you definitely articulated some of that. And, and you gave a message about thinking about joining and hopefully acting on that. Uh, do you have any other message for those of us who are still serving today? I think probably number one, after after 20 years of, of sort of a, a, a contingency operations coin mentality, uh, I would ask soldiers today, look, and I think people are already doing this. I don't think it's any secret that the leadership uh, is, 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 asking us to do this, we need to return to preeminent focus on our technical leadership as warrant officers. 
if you talk to any senior leader in private and some of them in public, they'll tell you, hey, you know, when you're in the middle of a hot war and we were in the middle of, of basically the global war on terror for, for almost 20 years, you know, you take products that people need on the battlefield and you rush them to the battlefield. It's not a warrant officer's fault that he isn't automatically an expert in some brand new product that they're rushing to the battle. And so a lot of what we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan was not warrant officers' willful fault at, at maybe losing some of the technical edge in some of the areas where we had previously been the preeminent experts. But the military now is looking toward big power conflict, potentially multi-domain conflict. And we're not going to be able to go back on the FOB as units and get, you know, a vehicle fixed or, or whatever. You know, they're not going to be contractors there to, to, to take care of our systems. We need to push as hard as we can to get back that pedigree. And, and I'm, I don't believe we ever really lost it. I think we are still a cohort of technical experts and professionals, but we need to keep doubling down and honing on that skill and ensuring that the senior leaders know they can count on us in that role. Uh, so don't be complacent. Uh, embrace opportunities to broaden expertise, but do so in your chosen field of expertise. Please support our senior warrant officer leaders and be a part of our continuing evolution, particularly now as we embrace the talent management that I spoke about earlier and the opportunities that it presents us to set the future for our cohort. And last but not least, we've always been all about mentoring. Be a mentor to those who follow you, and quite frankly, for the rest of your life. Be a soldier for life and reach back and be a mentor so we can help shape the next generation of warrant officers. That would be my message. Great. Thanks. And I'm going to tag off of that and give you a, a warno about a change to the script. I've got the two typical questions that I ask everybody at the end, and we'll go through those. But then I'm going to toss uh, the question to you uh, for Veterans Day about, you know, what is your message to the veterans out there, uh, regardless of component, regardless of rank, uh, and anything especially, though, for those warrant officer veterans uh, who I have come to absolutely admire and respect from my time this year in the Historical Foundation so back to the program question, uh, what have you learned or what would you like to share with the audience about your work's importance as part of the Army's mission? Russ, I think, um, and I really do think that the association is important. The work that I do is important for the Army mission. I made a decision when I retired uh, to work for USAWA versus private industry. If I'd have chosen the other route, I would have made an awful lot more money quite frankly, uh, being in the association, not just ours, any association, it doesn't pay real well. But I think that the the mission that we perform that makes our armed forces, our uniformed services better is a lot more important. And it's pretty hard to, 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 to uh, set a price on or a value on. So, you know, beyond the opportunity not only to represent our members, but to help promote the impact of our cohort's crucial mission in support of the Army and the nation we all swore our allegiance to, I just, I don't see a more fulfilling occupation post-retirement. And we do positively impact it. Um, 
if you went to our annual meeting, for example, this year, three quarters of the schedule was taken up with professional development venues, really awesome professional development venues. We had the chief of staff of the army who not only spoke to us remotely, but he, he demanded that we set it up so that he could interact with our members at the meeting. We had the SMDC uh, commanding general, Space and Missile Defense Command commanding general, join us uh, for a live welcome address on the very first day. We had all the in, uh, top senior warrant officer leaders openly discussing the Army talent management. I hate to beat a dead horse with Army talent management, but it's, it's, it's pretty big. And talking about the rationale and reasons for the recommendations they were making for legislative changes and for policy changes like the one I highlighted earlier about follow-on service for retirees from the active component. And so that, together with publishing articles about, uh, about uh, topics like that in our magazine and trying to keep people informed uh, on our Facebook page, I think that is probably that and, of course, the legislative mission and, and looking out for our folks and ensuring that they have uh, uh, the, uh, the benefits and pay that they deserve, is, those are probably all contributions uh, to the Army, to the good of the Army. And uh, there's something to be proud of. Uh, and everybody who serves in leadership in, in USAWA and all 35 of the military coalition associations who I'm proud to, 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 to currently be the president of in the coalition, they all do this work. And we do this work. So I hope that's a good answer. Well, thank you for modeling the the, the notion of development. Uh, thank you for uh, reifying that in the uh, annual meeting of the members and in being that example. Uh, there, you cannot um, preach that without living it. And thank you for doing that. Greatly appreciate that, sir, very much. I want to drill down uh, to that mentoring idea. What would you say to that brand new warrant officer candidate who just pinned and took the oath? What would you say to that uh, that uh, new officer, please? You know, Russ, I would tell them the same thing I told them at actually a, a graduation ceremony down at Fort Rucker a couple of years back. I would tell them to, I would tell them, be proud of what you have already achieved by being allowed to serve as a warrant officer in the first place. Understand, though, that this is only the beginning. You have a long way to go and still many things to learn. And here's a real important one. Never ask the question, what is more important, being a leader or a technical expert? The Army expects you to be both. But never forget why you were appointed in the first place, to be an expert, to develop into a premier technical leader. That's what I tell them. Excellent. Thank you. And um, I'll preface this last question again with my, my deepest gratitude toward the members of the board of directors of the Historical Foundation, including yourself and the Warren Officer Association for the opportunity to serve as this year's uh, Warren Officer Historical Foundation Fellow. Um, you have been an excellent uh, group of veteran mentors. So I'll, I'll toss to you and ask you, what is that 
final message to all those veterans out there uh, on this Veterans Day 2021? On 27 August 2021, in my capacity as president of the Military Coalition, or TMC, I posted the following on uh, the TMC Facebook page. On behalf of the 35 organizations of the Military Coalition, I offer condolences to the families and comrades of our brave service members who died yesterday in Afghanistan. We honor their steadfast defense of and commitment to the defense of our nation and the principles it has always stood for. God rest their souls and protect all of our stalwart service members continuing to serve in harm's way. Then, echoing the sentiments expressed by General James McConville in his 17 August note to the force, I continued with, we also ask all currently serving service members and veterans alike to make a point of checking in on one another at this difficult time. We are all a family and family members must offer comfort and strength to one another at times like these. I finished my message with the following sentence expressing what I hope every veteran regardless of the conflict in which they serve, we'll take to heart this Veterans Day, Russ. I said, as you do so, please remember that you have earned the love and gratitude of every patriotic American in this country and hundreds of millions of freedom-loving people around the world who collectively honor you for your unwavering service to our country and all that is decent and good. And this is what I hope every veteran takes to heart on this Veterans Day, especially, but not exclusively, for those of us who have served and come back. Great. And thank you for your time today, Mr. Gatil. Best wishes and happy Veterans Day to you, too.